Everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. To another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for May or June. Could be June, could be May. I don't know. I'm feeling a bit confused, maybe a little bit lost. I need somebody uh, who's going to help me. I need somebody who's going to be a hero, who's going to guide me, maybe in the uh, in where the direction that I'm going in. And I thought. If I'm going to need somebody who's going to be a hero for me, I need somebody who's not only being the hero, but they're bringing the hero. So joining me, I've got Wesley Cohn, who's here to talk about Hero, the card game, which is currently on Kickstarter. So hello, Wesley. Hey, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. How are you doing, sir? How are you doing in this, um, as we go into summer? And uh, things are starting to get a little hotter and everything like that. How how you how are you well? Yeah, I'm I'm doing well overall. Um, family's good. Uh, work is good. Um, enjoying this Kickstarter that's up and running. Um, the local community is starting to open up a little bit after mm. the you know kind of onset of the coronavirus stuff. Um, and I'll go ahead and put out a quick shout out as a thank you to all the. Uh, real heroes in our world currently, um, whether it be, you know, medical staff or, you know, yesterday was Memorial Day. Um, and so just thank you for the fallen soldiers as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, absolutely. There's a lot of, um, it's interesting we're finding out who the, who the real heroes are <laughs> at the moment. Um, and it mm. turns out it's not billionaires. Who knew? <laughs> who knew? Um, but we're here to talk about your, your, um, Suddenly successful Kickstarter um, hero, <laughs> the card game, which um, I've seen your updates, and I think to say that you were surprised as everybody else that it kind of yeah, funded. So, I mean, yeah, go ahead. I mean, you must be. How are you feeling about that? <laughs> yeah, uh, suddenly successful is an interesting uh, turn of phrase. Um, Three and a half years worth of uh, time and energy of, you know, wife and daughter in bed and you yeah. know, staying up late and trying to pull it all together and make it mm-hmm. make something good, uh, make something fun for people, you know, going to local conventions and uh, get, going to local game stores and getting play testers. Um, so going into it, you know, I, I think that a big part of my heart is just thankfulness um, for all the different people that have been involved in the process and the, mm-hmm. the experience. And, and so I think that um, when I went in, you know, being a first time indie designer, you get into the forums on Facebook and the other designers and there's thousands of us, um, you know, just 
reading the things that they say and, oh, yeah, kickstarting is so hard and you know, being a little guy and not being a big publisher, you know, you don't really stand a chance of success and you have to spend, yeah. you know, thousands and thousands of dollars in order to find success. And uh, so, you know, putting it up there is kind of like, okay, well, you know, I've put in the work, I've, I've been pregnant for a while now and I'm ready to give birth to this baby. <laughs> There's always that popular thing. Is I've heard the phrase many a time when it comes to um, kind of anybody in the entertainment industry, which is like, yeah, it took them 15 years to be an overnight success, kind of yeah, thing. Exactly. Which is like, it's when people kind of get into the in kind of get into the public eye. I mean, um, if we kind of dial the way the kind of the clock way back a little bit, because we we like to have a kind of a little bit of a, I guess, of a look back at. The, the past as well as like you know obviously discussing what you're doing at the present um have you always been a kind of a creative type sort you know um i mean i get most people play board games there's no point in me asking you you know when did you first get into board games because everybody has the same kind of standard answer but in terms of the creative side of you have you have you always been a little bit kind of creative yourself kind of growing up yeah, and things like that um i think like many designers and i don't want to speak on behalf of all of them but mm-hmm. i'm definitely uh definitely been considered strange and weird for large parts of my <laughs> life uh, <laughs> um, by friends by friends and enemies alike yeah <laughs> um but yeah so when i was little uh you know, of course, the game designing began early on. That was pretty pretty normal, but I think that's pretty normal with most game designers. You know, yeah. creating your own games and whatnot. Um, but I've always, you know, I've been doing theater since I was pretty little. Um, oh, and then, okay. Um, I'm I'm definitely not talented in the standard arts, though, in terms of like drawing and painting or even handwriting for that matter. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you got handwriting like a doctor. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm actually, you know, and I'm an English teacher, and I've got this really bad handwriting. So you go to write on the board, and your kids look at you, and are like, "Man, how do we trust this guy?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to educate you about how to how to how to understand and communicate uh, the yes. words of English, and they're just like that. It's like I didn't I didn't know that was English until you actually told me <laughs> that was English. I didn't know if you were doing like an impressionist painting kind of on the board i mean it can't be that are you the type of person that even if you're writing capitals well there's a reason i you know i I definitely like repeat myself like over and over so that they make sure they understand what i've written on the board right (laughs) it's like yeah it's like (laughs) i take it everybody can go and they say well that's somebody that's been educated by (laughs) that's been somebody that's been educated (laughs) by wesley Cohn. it's like the uh Technically, in his head, he's a, he's a marvel at the language, but you know, um, I've yeah. seen his written work, and um, you know, <laughs> it looks like somebody put Kit a candle in a the gra- microwave. <laughs> Kid can write a great essay, you know, great composition. You know, thought structure is beautiful, but when it comes to you know making sense of you know the the scribble, you know, you think they're hieroglyphs. It's like one of those stereograph three D image things where I. St- st- stared at it with one eye for 30 seconds and eventually I could see like a pterodactyl kind of coming out at me (laughs) in like some kind of some kind of like 3D 3D shit that's terrible you know I'm just I'm totally ripping you for your writing I've never actually (laughs) I've never actually seen it I am however um, very glad that we did a lot of our communication through email 
Um, yes, you know, so I didn't yeah, have to worry. <laughs> didn't have to worry. <laughs> kind of writing, writing back and saying, <laughs> um, <laughs> "Dear Mister Curry, thank you very much for your email date <laughs> regarding your game." <laughs> um, oh. Did you? But I mean, in terms of you kind of creating games, I mean, did you? For me, a lot of people seem to go down a route. They they either kind of they're inventing their own games from the the kind of the off. Like some days, you know, they're they're getting playing cards and they're putting white stickers over them and they're drawing yeah. their own stuff. Or yeah, we d- we definitely all go through that phase. Yeah, so I think a big part of it for me was like. Um, you know, when I was, you know, I was little, obviously, like, you know, I super imaginative, played in the woods out behind the house. And, you know, mm. my family had a little bit of land, not, not a ton, but had a, had a good little bit where I could explore the woods. And, um, you know, so I'd, I'd run around the woods and create stories in my head. And, you know, there was, you know, a witch living at the top of the tree and you had to, you know, run away. And, you know, you'd build forts, you know, with random scrap pieces of wood, you know, and they mm. weren't really forts, but we pretended they were. And, um, and so, yeah, the story, the story creation piece was definitely there since I was really little and then got to middle school, um, you know, really started picking up video games in about fourth grade. And then when, once I got up into like sixth and seventh grade, so about, you know, 11, 12 years old, um, mm. all of a, all of a sudden I was, uh, you know, Pokemon, the trading card game came out. Oh, right. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I started car- collecting those cards and, but they cost a lot of money and booster packs were expensive and, um, my mom and dad were like, Oh, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to spend a lot of money on booster packs. It's just a waste of money, which honestly it, it sort of was. Um, but you know, kind of looking back at it and, and it just, it was fun and spending time with people. Um, and so what I started doing was I got index cards and, uh, you know, I had two, two younger brothers. So I cut up the index cards and I drew little creatures on them and gave them, wow. um, basic stat values and, you know, very, very basic. Um, mm-hmm. in fact, not wildly different than what you see on Hero. You know, on Hero, you have an attack and a defense and it was really the same on that first card game, which is kind of a weird, uh, kind of <laughs> coming back to the original, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was, that was that. And then, you know, all the way throughout high school, um, you know, we had a lot of kids in our neighborhood, so I would create like, you know, these epic, like almost like LARP sessions. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wow. have called it that at the time, but you know, kids running around with like balls in their hands and chucking them at each other all the way around the neighborhood. And, you know, each kid had their own backyard and it was their kingdom. But if you like, you know, hit somebody with a ball, then their kingdom became yours and that kind of stuff. Right. So, <laughs> so you find yourself a bit of an organizer then you were kind of. Heading yeah, up and absolutely. giving directions and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it even continued into college because when I got into college, um, I had heard about a, a neighboring university who did a like a thing called sock war assassination, and you know, you you get a whole bunch of people on board, and basically you assign them all somebody, and if you hit them with a sock, you knock, you know, they're knocked out, and you're given mm-hmm. a target, and you, you have to knock them out, and then if you knock them out, you get their target, and you go after the next person until there's only one person remaining. But we would basically, you know, you'd see people just like break out running across campus after each other, you know, with a sock, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it was a rolled up sock. I take it that did the person that win did they did they work figure out if they put like a stone in their sock, they won oh. every time because they could get extra distance. Wow, that that would be rude. No, it was actually you couldn't. You had to be holding the sock when you hit them, so I had to be like unrolled. And you know, wow. as long as they weren't touching a wall or inside, you know, they're fair game. So, so because I had a feel of having a rolled up sock 
because you could get the angle on it as oh, I fl- yeah. as I flick my arm. But you're saying it had to be unrolled, and then you had to flick them with it. So did you get people yeah. like sneaking into other people's lectures at college and just <clears throat> like walking no, up behind the game, them? No, because the game had to be played outside. Yeah. All right. That must have been fun. Yeah, that good. must have been mega fun. <laughs> um, did that did that continue then? I mean, as you're going on, I mean, what did, what was it you did at college then? Yeah, uh, so I went to a school for secondary English education. Uh, so mm-hmm. teaching teaching high school students, um, high school English, basically. So you'd already decided to become an English teacher. That was your because I know of a, I know of a lot of people who they'll do so many years in a different discipline, maybe connected, you know, to the arts, whatever. And then yeah, they'll go, that, all right, I'm just going to go into, I'll become a teacher. So they kind of, they, they kind of end up taking it as like a, as a kind of a secondary career, a secondary course, or a kind of almost some people say like a, a little bit of a backup plan, but that was your decision. You were like, I'm going to become an English teacher. You know? I, don't, I don't know if I would call it my decision, um, but right. it was it was definitely kind of a decision that you know I, I rolled with. Um, you know, it was kind of predetermined for me based on some choices my parents had made and, and right. uh, some scholarships, some scholarships that I had received because you know I, I really had no way to pay for college otherwise, um, other than through loans, which I could have done. And mm-hmm. looking back on it, maybe I would, maybe I you know, could have and should have. I, I don't know, but I enjoyed teaching and, and I've learned more um, through teaching about, you know, relationships and the way people work and uh, than I would have anywhere else. And I've, I've just been able to just love on people and just pour into them and, you know, help them to recognize like that, that they have value and that there's a worth to them. Um, you know, that I want them to remember just kind of in the rest of their lives. So you want to, are you kind of almost like the, Robin Williams, Dead Poets Society type teacher is that you're not just interested in, you know, um, here's here's the works of Dickens. Let's read about Dickens or Shakespeare. You're actually getting them to kind of look inside themselves and try to become the kind of the best version of themselves and understand more about how they work as a por- as a person, as just getting them to be able to recite. Um, lines from like the Scottish play, for instance, instead. Yeah, I'd say I'd say any teacher that's worth their salt is definitely trying to grow the person and not just mm-hmm. the academics. Did that um, did that tie in with? I mean, when did you become like a pastor? Um, yeah, I mean, so, we were making a terrible joke about that earlier on, which I'm not going to go into. But it's really, really <laughs> funny, and I'm tempted to try and bring it in, but I'm not going to bother. But. Um, <laughs> Was that alongside when you were? A, um, have you always been pretty active in the in the church as well as in you ministry, were kind of growing yeah. up? Um, ministry is an entirely. I, I don't know how to. So I was definitely raised in the church, um, mm-hmm. but but it wasn't like. I guess I guess for me, like um, the idea of like a deity, right, um, was never a personal thing for me until. Um, you know, I guess there's like various points in your life, right? You're like, oh, yeah, I need to pray for this or I pray for this. You know, even even people that don't consider themselves, you know, believers mm-hmm. will sometimes just you know pray. But um, there's this idea that like somewhere around 
middle school. Um, and you'll, you'll hear it sound like, you know, I prayed the prayer, right? Right. The one where you like accept Jesus or whatever. <laughs> but like, I prayed the prayer like a hundred more times after that, right? I wasn't sure if I was saved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and that's a funny thing for, for, um, a lot of people because, you know, whether you're Christian or not Christian, like that idea of praying the prayer just can be a mildly humorous thing. But ultimately for me, it was, I wanted it to be a personal relationship thing that like mattered to me. And, and it felt like a, a very real connection. And if it wasn't that, then like I was going to peace out on the, on the faith because it wasn't worth my time um, to follow a whole bunch of rules or, or structures or, you know, you see a lot of people that you know claim to be of a certain faith and you're just like, Oh, you know, they claim to be that, but they don't really live it. And mm-hmm. I, I finally came to the point where I was like, you know what? Um, I can't base my, my belief system on whether or not other people are living their lives a certain way. You know what I mean? No, um, no, no, so, no, no, exactly. No, no. I'm yeah, a strong, belie- I'm guess, a strong believer in that myself. I always, I, I've never okay. ha- ever, I'm not the type of person to go up to somebody and say, oh, you believe in God, do you? Yeah. That's nonsense. <laughs> I always, I've always had, I've always had an issue with somebody going to coming up to me and going, "I believe in God, and what you're doing is wrong." And it's like, well, that's great. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> then you know, yeah, if, if that's if that's you know if that's the case, I, I'm, I've you know if so, I am, um, I see um, a lot of value for a lot of people who live their lives. Um, and religion plays a huge part of their lives and yeah. um that's cool and that's great and i see them feel part of a community and they, they have a sense of belonging and for some people there's this unshakable kind of sense of being of who they are and their place in the kind of the world and society and i know a lot of other people that kind of struggle with that but uh, i i have i have an issue with a bit of the evangelical stuff that's my that's my bugbear kind of thing I understand. Well, and I think there's a lot of different definitions for evangelical that you kind of have to wrestle with yeah. also. So, um, yeah. but I guess the other, the other piece was to finish answering your question. Like when I was, I was in undergrad, um, when I really felt like the quote unquote call to ministry. And then, um, you know, I spent the next like 10 years or so wondering like, what does this mean? What does it look like? <laughs> I have no clue where I'm going with my life. You know, I'm going to be a teacher and, I'm going to go serve in these schools that like, you know, they have, there's students in these schools who they don't know that anybody cares about them. And that's where I'm going because I want to love on these kids. And Uh I learned more, I learned more through some of those experiences than I think I would have learned otherwise. Um, And then, uh, you know, while I was teaching, I, you know, felt the desire to, um, you know, go off to go pursue an education. And so I mentioned, you know, working on my master's in divinity. And so I started that, I started that back in 2014. But when you're doing that and you're teaching at the same time, it can be, um, so I guess what I was going to say though, was I I decided that I really needed to pursue the, the master's in divinity and and doing that while teaching just, um, those two things at the same time are incredibly difficult because the MDiv program is a 74 hour program. Um, wow. And that's that's a lot of classes. So <laughs> yeah, um, that is. And then if you're doing the teaching the, stuff, kind of during during the day, then I mean, one of the yeah. things that I, I see people talking about teaching, they go, "Well, what's wrong with teaching? You get like three months off during the summer, and you get like years off at Christmas. You're practically in the classroom for about three weeks." And it's like, yeah, that's fair, but also at the same time, I'm kind of working 
24 hours a day for those three weeks <laughs> that I'm in the classrooms. Yeah. I know people that they start off at um, seven o'clock in the morning and they're still working at kind of like half seven at night, kind of doing lesson plans and everything like that, you know? That's that's not the life of a teacher. That's a very, very true statement. Um, mm. And I guess the other piece of, of all of that was that I was also still serving um, because I'm, I'm a firm believer that when you are going to step into a leadership position of any kind, whether it's in ministry or in education or technology or, or business, that you should already be doing the job. Um, mm. that you want to receive, you know, that you want to get paid for. And so I was already serving in my local community church and just loving on people and, you know, giving them my time and my energy and trying to show people like that they had worth. And then I was also serving in the building, you know, just cleaning, cleaning, cleaning the building, you know, um, I'm a, yeah. I, be I believe in servant leadership, right? And so, you know, if a yeah. pastor is not willing to get down and scrub toilets, you know, um, what kind of pastor is he? Yeah, I mean, how can you try and um, claim to have empathy with other people if you, you know, it's like they'll walk a mile in somebody's shoes kind of thing, that kind of guess. Exactly. Um, yep. has, has your religion made, given you any guidance in terms of the game design side of things? I mean, are there some are there certain kind of subjects or things like that that you would, as a designer you'd be uncomfortable kind of going near or, you know, yeah, or, do you, or do you keep kind of things, kind of, kind of things separate, no? Yeah, that, no, they're, they're definitely involved. I, I don't believe in separating personal beliefs from, you know, the way you live. Um, but I also, so, and I think this is the, this is the part of you where you might, you know, rub up against kind of the evangelical thing because a lot of people will say, you know, um, I've got these, these really hardcore beliefs and then it's like they try to like force it on everybody else. Right. Um, but yeah. I'm, I'm more along the lines of like what I do and what I create is going to align with my values. And when I play games, I'm going to make sure like I'm not sacrificing my values in the process. But then the, the but here is a really important one is that I'm still going to like build relationship with people who disagree with me and who are different than me, right? I have a bunch of friends that are atheists and agnostics, and I don't want to be like that guy who's like, oh, my agnostic friend or my atheist friend. Um, but you, you know what I mean? Like, it's, I want to connect with people and I want them to know, like, I care about you. And so if, you know, I can't play a certain game with you, but, you know, there's games that people won't play with me. Like, they're like, oh, that's just too hokey or too cheesy. Then it's mm -hmm. like, okay, well, let's find something that we can play that we can, that we can agree on, you know, because we care more about each other than we do about what game we play. Yeah. It's not like you go around um, introducing your friends and say, now this is, this is Mike. Um, Mike's going to hell. <laughs> kind of like, yeah, all right, yeah okay. exactly that would be absurd yeah that's not really helpful um in terms of like telling people like that they have worth so <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um and in terms of the game design itself for like hero um yeah absolutely my values influence it so you'll notice that like if you look at my cast of characters it is um there's a diversity in gender there's a gender balance right um there's a there's a cultural diversity about it and yes i'm, I'm a white male and and i i get that um, but if, you know, I had one of two approaches, I could either create a game with a whole bunch of white males or I could create a, a gender and culturally diverse uh, cast. And I figured the latter was the better choice since, you know, I actually believe in that, um, you know, people are, people are different and they want to feel represented. And I think that's important. Um, and so that was, that was a part of it. But then also, um, and this is the part where, you know, some of my fans you know, may not, 
you know, may, may turn off that, but, um, you asked and I'm not going to, you know, lie to you. Yeah, um, yeah. I, be- I believe that, uh, I'm not a big fan of the concept of magic. Um, honestly, uh, you know, so the idea of, you know, using magic in a game or whatever. Um, and, and that's really a funny thing because you could bring up Tolkien or C.S. Lewis or whatever. And I used to be a huge yeah. fan of both of them. And, and in terms of their, their personal values, I, I still, I still am, but, um, yeah, I haven't watched Lord of the Rings or Narnia in a while. Um, albeit, uh, Narnia and Lord of the Rings were probably some of the early predecessors for Hero um, mm-hmm. in terms of what motivated me to kind of move forward. So what I have is these characters with these abilities. And I've written a book on the side of these characters that have lived, grown up in like this post-apocalyptic world. And, uh, you know, cataclysm after cataclysms just ravaging the earth and just destroying things. And... Um, you know, dystopia and, and, you know, the class warfare and all sorts of crazy. And, uh, these characters, you know, they're, they've all but lost their cultural heritage. Um, you know, it's still there and you can still see it in like in glimpses, but you can't really dig into the meat of it. And so they've all had this encounter with it, with what I call the river. Um, and, you know, that, that can kind of appeal to multiple kind of belief systems, but yeah, you, know, you get the river. Um, and they have this encounter and it's kind of like, you know, walking through the wardrobe for Narnia, right? So, you go, you, you, you know, the one guy, he steps into lava, but it actually is the river. And he has this encounter with the river that just like, you know, transforms his entire being. And he, he starts developing these abilities, right? And there's, there's no other way to describe it. Um, but the main one that everybody that has an encounter with the river seems to, seems to take on is what's called ghost walking. Um, right. And it's, and it's this idea of, um, jumping on air as if it is land itself, right? And so the game takes place between, uh, two sky bases up in the sky, um, outside the bounds of time, time itself, um, where these, these characters, you know, these heroes are, are in training, um, and battling each other. But, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to sharpen themselves and become more effective at what they do, uh, through this battle experience. When you were making the system, because I mean, I, I, I was, I was gonna, I wasn't surprised when you said you've, you know, I've written a small book, and it's like, well, he's an English teacher. As long as he wrote <laughs> it on his PC, as long as it's not written notes, I think he'll be fine. No, yeah, but, I, I would take me forever, and it would look horrible, <laughs> and I would never be able to type it up. I'd have to hire somebody, and then they would have to like figure out how to translate hieroglyphs. I was going to say, you should have done like a, as a stretch goal because people were asking for stretch goals. You could say, here's the original handwritten <laughs> PDF <laughs> of the. Yeah, of the they, they would of have the, to be I, an archaeologist to interpret it. I just, I think that would be the best kind of trolling ever. You know, they'd be like, well, I got the PDF and, you know, is there a cipher for it? Because I can't make a tail, head or tail of, of what you've given me here, <laughs> Wesley. Um, when you were creating the the system, though, how because you you mentioned obviously the child you mentioned oh well going back in childhood I kind of created something which actually in retrospect is very very close to what Hero is about. How much of did you go in with the idea for Hero as this huge epic, and did the mechanics at the beginning kind of were they like a huge epic? Has there been a lot of stuff that you've had to change? from the first iteration of the game to what's actually kind of ended up as the final product? Well, uh, so Hero was not originally called Hero. Um, it didn't get called Hero until about two weeks into creation. Um, and that was about right. three and a half years ago, like I said. But um, no, I originally set out to create a, a 
MOBA in the form of a card game, a multiplayer online battle arena like um Yeah. Oh shoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was just trying to think of a couple of MOBAs just off the top of my head. The one that I used to play was Paragon on the PlayStation 4. Um that was created by the same same company um that created Fortnite. Uh but they, they discontinued Paragon as soon as Fortnite took off, which made me very sad. Um so shout out to my Paragon buddies. Uh, we had a team that would play every night. Um <laughs> so when I started on Hero though, I sold the PlayStation 4 and uh really, really delved into the journey and trying to make this MOBA and uh MOBA as a card game, um I had way too many other influencing factors that changed the style of gameplay um over time. So like I played a game called Shining Force, you know, back when I was younger on the Sega Genesis and um, yeah, I, I had, remember that. Um, I was a really big fan of the X-Men, you know, by Stan Lee. And so, mm-hmm. like, all these different kind of factors are playing in. It's like, you know, I want to be able to recruit new, new characters as I'm playing the game, you know, and I want to, I want to be able to level them up and gain experience and, and gain new abilities. And, and, you know, I want to, I want each character to have their own unique flavor and feel, but I also want them to, like, work together and be a team. And, and I want to feel like Charles, Charles Xavier on the other side of them all. And, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and so like, as I'm creating this game, it, it started as a MOBA, um, and turned into something wildly different. And, um, the one other, there were two, there were two other pieces that were really, really important to me other than kind of the recruitment, you know, level up aspect. And one of them was I wanted a very simple system, um, incredibly yeah. simple. Um, and so that there's where your acronym comes in, but that, that acronym, um, actually also stemmed out of the other, the other principle. And that was, I wanted a game where I wanted, where I had heroes who all felt incredibly powerful from the moment that they hit the field. Right. Um, I don't, I don't like these games where you have this ability and it, you know, kind of chips away at a person over an incredibly long period of time, but you don't really ever fully see the effects of the ability, you know? Um, and so I, I created this game with 20 overpowered heroes. Um, I think it was 24 originally, and I dropped it back to 20 because the other four just yeah. didn't fit um, as well as I wanted. And and they were so overpowered that I would play with my neighbor, um, and we would sit down. Uh, he would come over. He, he came over a lot to play. Um, anyway, uh, I mentioned him in my Kickstarter as, you know, one of the people that I'm thankful for. Um, but basically, you know, we would, we would play, and the game would end in less than, like, five minutes because the heroes were so overpowered. <laughs> It was just like, man, well, that was fun, I guess. I, I yes, don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, and so then I was like, well, we need balance, but how do you create balance when you've got a bunch of overpowered heroes? Well, you weaken them all, right? That's what everybody else says. And I said, no, I, I refuse to be that guy who nerfs his heroes for his game. You know, I've played this these video games where they just keep nerfing the mess out of your characters. And yeah. you know, you're like, that was my favorite character, and now you've made them worth nothing, you know? Um, and so I said, well, let's uh, let's find a way to change this. And the hero system was created um, and hero system is not an accurate term because that's a, that's actually a RPG system that, that's, that exists. Um, but for me, the hero mechanic, I guess would be a, a thing that I would call it um, the acronym, you know, heal, enhance, recruit, overcome. Um, and it basically is the counterbalance for the overpowered heroes. And that is that it, you know, breaks up your turn. You know, you can only do one of these four things and ultimately, you know, you're going to make, you know, sacrifice, and it's going to be an opportunity cost for every decision that you make. Well, let's let's get into the nitty gritty and talk <clears throat> talk about how, like, maybe a typical round 
kind of plays out because it's you've got a deck of, you've basically got a deck of cards you've got your own you've got your own team so how 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 would you play hero what, what would a round kind of look like Wesley yeah, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to lay out all 20 heroes face up, and we're each going to pick one hero, and that hero is going to go into our hand, and they're going to be the entire starting hand. And then the rest of the heroes are going to get shuffled up, and we're going to set them off to the side um, in, in what's called the hero reserves, and we're going to turn three of them face up, uh, kind of like Ticket to Ride, right? Have you ever played Ticket to Ride? Yeah. Yeah, so you got the three face ups and you got like a pile of face downs and, and so yeah, recruiting yeah. heroes in, in game is that same idea. Like I can, I can take one, one or two from the face up set and, or I can take one from the face up and one from the face down or two face downs. And, and that's how you recruit heroes in game. Um, once you get going, but so initially you each recruit one hero, you set all the, all the rest of the side, you know, for later in the game. Uh, the next thing you're going to do is you're going to take all the abilities and you're going to decide, you know, whether you're going to play a little bit more competitively uh, with a standard game. Um, or whether you're going to play, you know, more, um, you know, casual and, and you, you really just like, you know, the luck and the, the not really knowing where you're going or where you're moving, you know, an over glorified version of War or Uno, right? Um, in which case you're going to use either preset decks that come with the rule book and, and are, you know, it explains like which abilities go in which deck. Um, or, you know, you want to just completely randomize it and give each, each player a, you know, random abilities. So you shuffle them up and hand them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and those abilities are going to go into your personal deck. Um, and so your your personal deck is going to have a set of statistics and then whatever abilities you got, either from the presets or the random dealing or, and like I said, for the competitive, um, you're actually going to draft the abilities back and forth. And so, you know, you'll know what I'm picking and I know what you're picking. So we're going to pick and counter pick uh, our abilities in our decks, um, in order to, you know, hopefully give us an edge over one another. Um, but of course our style of gameplay is going to be wildly different, right? So you want to play more aggressively. You're going to take, you know, a lot of heavy hitting abilities and I might be a little more disruptive and, and take, you know, a whole bunch of like trap, like, you know, abilities. Um, and then I guess after, yeah, after the basic setup, you know, you've got, um, you got your deck, you've got your, your heroes on the side of the field, you've got your hand, and then from there on, you know, you're choosing one of the four the four action choices from the acronym HERO for the rest of the game. For every turn, you're either going to heal, enhance, recruit, or overcome. Um, and then, you know, again, you know, each choice you make, uh, you know, will put you in varying uh, situations on the field, you know, for future turns. Well, you're quite strict on that system. I mean, yeah. at any time, you know, I, I take it you were like, well, if we allow, because I, Sometimes I sometimes the the issue that I see with um, some kind of card games is that there's like three two or three main moves, but then these two or three main moves can branch off into five or six other things that you can do, and the next thing you know is that the the structure of the game um, can become yeah. a bit it becomes a bit unwieldy. And then it also yep. becomes difficult for you to know who you're going to counteract and who you're not going to counteract against. So were you quite strict in saying we've got to stay within these parameters that we've set ourselves? Because I know if I do that, then the game itself is going to remain kind of as balanced as possible. Yeah. Yeah. No, those those four um, 
action choices are the core of the game and absolutely essential. There, there aren't a lot of branching, you know, kind of elements to each of those. It's, you know, one of those four. So I know on your turn, you got one of four actions you're going to take. Um, there isn't an alternative fifth turn. And so that's where those abilities come into, come into play. Um, so there's three types of abilities in the game. There's passive abilities, active abilities, and then what I call heroic feats. Um, they used to be called heroic abilities. So if you're playing on the tabletop simulator, you know, the older version, you'll note that it still says heroic ability, um, or it has just the letter H for heroic. But basically the, the three different abilities here, you know, a passive is always an effect. You know, these are your, your basic stat boosters, right? You know, this mm-hmm. hero gets plus 10 for every other hero on the field, you know, or, or whatever. Um, or, you know, maybe a passive ability is like, you know, my going nuclear card, which is basically a complete field wipe, right? Um, all heroes on the field are completely wiped out and removed from the field. Um, and you have to, you have to prepare for that. So if I know you've got that in your deck, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, play accordingly, right? I want to make sure that I have heroes in my hand, um, when that hits the field, um, so that I don't, you know, get abolished on my next turn. Um, mm-hmm. the other piece here is, is that, you know, you've got these active abilities and actives can be used once on every single turn. So it's not like, you know, you use an ability and you never have access to it again, right? So I've got this ability and my, I've, t- you teach it to a hero. You don't play it out of your hand and use it. It's not like a magic spell or something. You're, 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 it's like your ability, your hero just learned a new ability, like in a video game, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so they learn this ability and they can use it every single turn, um, on your turn, which is pretty awesome. And then the last one, like I said, is the heroic abilities. And these are the heroic feats. And these are the ones that, that do operate more like those spell cards that you might have seen in other games where you play it straight out of your hand into your discard pile and it has like this effect, right? But yeah. these are, these are really, really powerful cards that just do massive damage, right? So one is called absorb and it means like I can take all of the statistical enhancements and abilities off of one of your heroes and I can put it on one of my heroes. Right. Um, but if I do that, I sacrifice my entire turn. So I can't do any of the hero, uh, acronym and I can't use any other abilities on that turn. Um, the one other way you can kind of co-opt the system is those active and passive abilities, right? So, um, you might have a hero that says for every fatigued hero on the field, you can recruit, uh, one hero, right? And so now all of a sudden you're, you're able to take and use the R functionality from the acronym recruit um, on a turn where you might be doing a different action. So maybe I want to do some overcoming and I want to overcome and I want to attack you and, and be on the offense, but I also want to recruit. So I'm going to use that ability while I'm attacking. So how much playtesting have you done then? You mentioned tabletop simulator. So, um, I mean, one of the things that I've seen, and this is more on, um, the more recent kind of games is the difficulty in getting people to kind of play test stuff. I mean, let's face it, everybody, everybody's kind of been on lockdown. People have not (laughs) been able to kind of gather in groups. I mean, with you kind of launching kind of like the Kickstarter right now, was there quite a few challenges to getting the game in front of people so they could even kind of sample it? And is that why you went kind of like the tabletop simulator route? Yeah, so that's a that's a really interesting question. Um, so remember, you have to consider the fact that I put three and a half years work, worth of work into this, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've taken it to conventions, and at almost every convention, I get in a solid forty to fifty playtests. Um, I will say this: that out of those forty to fifty playtests, about forty to fifty of those people also have signed up for the email list or have joined the Facebook group, which is now sitting mm-hmm. at close to three hundred something people, um, right? And so there's this idea that. 
you know, when people play test us, they're like, wow, this is a really cool game. I want to, I want to, you know, be a part of this journey and see what's going on with you and, um, you know, support you in any way I can. Um, and so it's, it's just, it's been fun, but, um, you know, so getting lots and lots of play tests and feedback through the conventions themselves, um, but also the local game shop, um, Hypermind has been spectacular. You know, people, they're just, they're willing to play test and, and be a part of the journey and the experience. And these are, these are people that play a wide array of games, right? Um, at all of these different locations. So, uh, getting different perspectives and different age groups to play and, and, uh, you know, they all, they all approach this game, um, with kind of a, a different background, right? They're not tabula rasas, you know, they're coming to the game, you know, without any experience with anything. And so they're like, yeah, Oh, this yeah. reminds me of this or, you know, um, I don't really like this about this game because of this. And then I say, well, have you considered this piece? And like, oh, well, that's true. That makes sense. And they'll say, well, what about this? And then I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. I should change that, you know? And, and so lots and lots of really solid feedback. I've play tested this game. Um, on a, on a conservative side, three or 400 times, but I, I think that's way too conservative. I'm thinking it's over a thousand. Um, wow. yeah. And I've got, and I sent out copies, um, a writ, like in the early stages, I sent out prototype copies across the world. I sent out like 30 or 40 prototype copies, um, you know, to various people who were willing to pay the shipping for it. And, uh, I just paid for the, paid for the copy of the game itself. And yeah, it was a little bit expensive, but it got me a lot of great feedback. Um, and then, of course, like you said, recently, uh, Tabletop Simulator has kind of been the way to go. Um, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I have, I, I got a handful of friends that have helped me out with, um, you know, that, that aspect. A guy by the name of Wes Woodbury, um, he, he helped me to get up on table, Tabletop Simulator. You can look him up on, on Facebook. Wes Woodbury. Wes Woodbury, Wes, yeah. Wes Woodbury, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Wes. <laughs> I remember Wes very, very well, and um, I think the first podcast he ever did was with myself. And okay. then recently, I checked up on the boy, and he's doing his own podcast. Yeah, yeah, he started it. doing that. Now his his takes a slightly different flavor than yours, of course. Um, he's he's looking to connect with people after their game has you know kind of gone to market and his ideas he wants to talk about like the marketing of the game and you know how yeah, do you yeah. go about getting your game in front of people so yeah his was very i've listened uh i listened to, to a couple of his quite recently and uh he's much more kind of talking shop um yep. as he would say in kind of sales and marketing he's, he talks he talks more about the sausage than he talks about the sizzle Yes, yeah. If you know what I mean, so it's very much kind of like, how would you handle this? How did you? So it's a very, it's a very useful, um, it's a very useful kind of. But yeah, I remember because he was he um, he was a double hitter. Basically, he launched the he launched his campaign for his Kickstarter and it didn't fund, and then he pretty much came back about three. Was it three four weeks later? And yeah. um, his campaign just. It went through the roof. It yeah. did so. Yeah, Wes, it did so very, Wes, Wes did a good job um, connecting with people, and and I think that's one of my favorite things about him. I talk to him probably two or three times a week via Facebook Messenger, and and yeah. uh, he's incredibly supportive and and is you know constantly encouraging me, which is really cool to see him. And um, yeah, I got a few other people. Uh, like there's a gentleman by the name of Andrew Lowen who's creating a game right now called Deliverance, the board game. If you haven't talked to this guy, you got to get him on your show. <laughs> um, but his, his game is just like, I don't know, it's, it's blowing up and people are crazy about the thing. Um, 
So yeah, yeah anyway, yeah. but yeah, these, these, you know, when you get other designers behind you and they're supporting you and they're being encouraging, you, you know, and they're walking with you as you go through your journey, um, it's, you, you can, you feel like you can do almost anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. With, I mean, but with the current situation, was there, was there any point you kind of went, hmm, I don't know if we maybe need to kind of hold back a month or two and wait until things kind of calm down? Or was it just the case that, okay, I got faith this is going to do well. Um, let's just go ahead and just see what kind of happens with it. <laughs> Your question is so funny. Um, and here's why. So I was actually aiming for the end of July. Um, and then, All right, okay. Yeah, and then the coronavirus happened. And like I, I looked at the situation and I said, well, this is completely illogical. It makes zero sense. There's going to be a whole bunch of people not wanting to spend any money. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> so I, I went for it and, and uh, well, it's, it's worked out. I, and I had a lot of people, I think people are at home and they're looking at, you know, they're looking at Kickstarter and they're saying, well, you know, um, we really, you know, we're just going to sit around and we want something to do. And, you know, we want to see hope and life and, and, you know, mm-hmm. we want to see somebody pushing back against this, this death that seems to be all around us. Right. And that's, but honestly, that, that was part of the heart of it. You know, I, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Like if I had to, and I'm not going to, so don't, don't read this as a miscue, but, um, if I had to cancel the Kickstarter in order to build the relationships that I built, um, yeah. I, I would do, I would do that in a heartbeat because, it's that pastor teacher thing. I mean, like I want to build relationships and I want people to know that they're loved and that they have value. And as I create this game, I'm trying to create a great product for you to have fun with. Right. And so when I went to Kickstarter, a big part of my heart going into it was everybody feels like nothing is possible right now. So let's do something and like, let's try to kickstart people's lives a little bit too, and show them like, Hey, there's life to be had in the middle of all of this death. Right. Um, whatever form that takes, I'm not, I'm not suggesting, you know, rebelling or, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about that, but I'm, I'm talking about learning, um, and recognizing that there is, there has got to be more than just sitting around and watching TV. Mm-hmm. Were you, how surprised were you when, with how quickly it funded? Cause I seen your update, Wesley, and I yeah, mean, you're not yeah. a guy that was sitting there going, yeah, that's cool. I expected that. No, I'm like no, Fon- that's not me. I'm like Fonzie. I'm like Fonzie. I'm cool. <laughs> I'm just sitting here being cool. We funded, no, I wish but, it was... you know, it was in the plan. Because you were like that. <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, people are, um, yeah, people are awesome. Uh, I think for me, it was, there's so much naysaying about, you know, indie designing and, and the inability to succeed. And um, a big part of me was just, I want to fight back against this thing. And I'm going to just build relationships. And I don't know how advertising on Facebook works. I've tried once or twice and a couple of people might've come through that, but I, I, I have no way of knowing if they did or didn't. Um, and I only dropped like, you know, 50 to $150 on that total. Um, and, but I don't even know if it worked. Right. And so like, I'm saying you're like, okay, I've built all these relationships, but like, I haven't heard from some of these people in months and I don't know, you know mm-hmm. what's going to happen. And, um, but we're going to put it up. And so when I, when I hit that Kickstarter um, and all of a sudden, you know, all of these people were just coming out of the woodwork and, and just, you know, backing it and supporting it. I just, my mind was blown. Like 
you know, it, it's one thing, you know, I was like, I got 35 days set as my campaign. Jamie Stegmeyer recommend, recommended that back in what, 2014. And you now it's 2020. That might be a bad idea, but I'm going to do it anyway. And yeah, it'll just be a really long, painful 35 days. And I, maybe I'll scrape by and hit 2000, you know, by the end of it. And a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of designers to say, Oh, those small projects that make $2,000. Well, for somebody who's never made $2,000, uh, you know, that, you know, in less than 30 days, I, I guess, you know, well, I guess, you know, that's a, it can be a normal salary depending on the job, but um, as a teacher even. But I think that for somebody who hasn't made it, uh, it specifically with my Kickstarter in less than an hour and a half, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that That's a little bit mind-blowing. So my wife took a picture of the screen and sent it to me in my text message and said, you remember that time we made uh, $2,000 in an hour and a half? Yeah, this is for memory's sake. And I responded, you mean that time we made $2,000 in three and a half years? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was I was definitely mind blown. But we're I mean, there's two sides to Kickstarter that's successful because I've spoken to people who have been hitting kind of hundreds of percent above the Kickstarter, and there's the stretch goal question because mm. I know of a lot of people who will be like, well, okay. They know there are some organizations that they run their Kickstarter campaigns knowing that they're going to be bringing stretch goals to the table. And so they, in essence, they're carving off the kind of the finished item in order to produce kind of additional stretch goals. Whereas you, and then there's some that kind of like, like yourself that are successful and they've kind of went, well, I'm not sure... Yeah, is it the norm to kind of should I do stretch goals now? Should I? Because I know at the beginning, you you your opening line on your campaign is you know spot you know basically something like spoilers ahead. You know, yeah. there's no uh, there's no stretch goals in this campaign. Are you now having to think? Well, am I able to? Are you able to now go back and say, well, what else can I do? I mean, is it going to be qual? Is it potential quality of life? Are you still going to hang by and just say, look, I'm not going to be doing any kind of stretch goals at all what are your what are your kind of current thoughts with that Wesley? <laughs> yeah so um when i went into this uh you, you read horror stories of other designers right there's the guy who um went in and had to like you know sell his house in order just to you know fulfill his game and i still don't know that he fulfilled it um and that 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 horror story is you know thrown around the the web every so often and I was like, man, I don't want to be that guy. I got a wife and a kid to take care of. And, um, and, and I think that was based basically on shipping and fulfillment was the big issue there, but I, I may be wrong and the stretch goals may have been a part of it. But for me, it was like, I want to keep this as simple as I can. So let's create a good product and put it in people's hands and just say, there you go. This is what you signed up for. And you knew what you were mm -hmm. getting when you got it. And that way, like if they, if you know, it doesn't fund, then it's no real, you know, skin off my back because, well, I, I, was going to give people a copy of the game and they knew what they were going to get and you know it'll, it'll be okay and if people complain about not getting stretch goals then well at least they knew up front that they weren't going to get them right and so i, I wouldn't feel bad uh, from a personal conscience kind of perspective um but when all of a sudden uh you know the kickstarter just took off um there at the beginning i was just like who are these people and how awesome are they, right? Like I know maybe 50% of my backers. And when I say no, I, I mean it through via Facebook or through the conventions yeah, yeah. or through, you know, uh, there's a couple of personal relationships there as well, but not, not a whole lot of them. Um, and so when it took off, I said, man, um, I need to do something for these people because they, they have really um, shown up in some cool ways. And so, 
uh, I was like, well, here's a, here's what I can do. And I know, I know how to do this myself. And so I pulled up my sky bases, you know, there are a couple of cards and there were only going to be two, uh, designs for that originally, like the original color and then the purplish color. And, you know, they're called splendor and wonder. And I said, well, um, I was going to have two of each of those. And I said, you know, how cool would it be to have four different ones, you know, different kind of color variations. And so I jumped onto Photoshop for about two or three hours and, and modified them some. And, and it took a little bit of doing because, you know, I'm not, um, it took me the past three and a half years to teach myself how to use Photoshop on top of all yeah. of that. Um, so I, I kind of synthesized most of the artwork. I didn't do the artwork, but I synthesized it. I brought it all together. You know, all this mm. great work that these other um, artists had done. And maybe we can talk about them um, in a minute. But um, to finish answering your question on the stretch goals, like the big thing for me was I want to bless people because they've blessed me and, and they've been a part of this thing. And, you know, if I come out of this thing, you know, breaking even, you know, that's awesome. You know, um, but I, I really just want people to know that, you know, I've created something really cool for them. So let's, let's, let's talk about the art because um, in terms of how it looks, it's very, it's kind of striking. It's very simplistic, but strong. I yeah. think, because I've seen a lot of kind of fantasy, kind of artwork and mm -hmm. it's generally there's like lots of busyness kind of going yeah. on yep that was, get, that was a big part of my heart go ahead no i was gonna say I, I was just thinking when i looked at the artwork first of all one of the things that kind of struck me is one of my favorite card games which is ashes rise of the phoenix born which uses a i don't know if you've seen that but it uses a very very simple style there's not really anything in the background you're just it's built entirely around the illustration of the character so were you yeah. is that was that a conscious decision to kind of make it as kind of clear as simple as possible for the individual yeah. characters that you had yeah anything you see in hero has been a very very clear and conscious decision um and probably was many hours of agonizing and days of waiting and communicating and you know fumbling through my you know new designer idiocies with communicating with people um i butted heads with so many people and and i had to apologize more times than i can count um because i didn't know what i was doing initially and i, I had to learn through the process but that's the beauty of working on something for three and a half years you know you can learn um but in terms of the the style and the artwork i I had a pretty clear vision of what I wanted kind of from the get go. Um, not entirely though. So my initial kind of vision was I, I kind of liked the idea of, um, you know, at that time, Epic Games, uh, the people who created Paragon had actually canceled their project and had released all of their assets for free on the internet to be used. And I was like, man, I could just use that for all my artwork and I was going to get into unity and I was going to make it happen. And then I contacted them and they're like, Oh, that's only for 3d usage. You can't use it for 2d projects. Sorry. And I was like, Oh man. So I was like, well, I still like the idea of 3d. And so I got into like the dazed forums and, um, got up with this one person and, you know, talked to them about it and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, we can try. And we tried for a little while and I, I couldn't communicate my vision very clearly to them and and I'll, I'll take full responsibility for that and we both we were like well maybe it's better just to move on and so we did and um i was just like i, I don't know what to do so i started contacting you know artists and you contact you know dozens of them and they're coming at you with numbers that you can't afford as a high school english teacher right um <laughs> and so yeah you, I, 
I finally came across this one image on deviantart.com called Mercenary. And, um, and I, I was like, man, this is such a cool image. It, it's kind of the style of artwork that I want of a character. And, um, you know, I, I just like the character itself. And, uh, and I had been playing Charterstone at the time. Have you, have you played Charterstone by Jimmy Stigmeyer? Yep. Um, yeah, I love the, I love the simplicity of that box. And so I had that kind of simplicity thing in mind. Cause when I walk into a game store, and I see Charterstone on the wall against the sea of colors, you know, all of a sudden, like it just stands out and it makes me want to know what is that game. Right. Um, and so I, I have the same kind of desire, you know, with my overall design for my game as well. Um, you know, that was about the same time that, you know, Star Wars episode eight came out and they had all those contrasting kind of simplistic colors. Um, yeah, yeah. That was great. And yeah, that no, was be- no. it was beautiful. That was that was the best part of that movie was the artwork. Um, <laughs> no offense <laughs> for those of you who really love the movie. Yeah, <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, yeah, I, I reached out to the artist. The artist's name is Colpeo Fox. Um, uh, Colpeo is from Germany, um, and uh, done a done a few different projects out there. A couple of kids books. You know, I got a kids book out there. A really famous one. Um, can't remember the name off the top of my head because I'm not, that's not really my scene, but, um, you know, I contacted the artists. I'd never heard of them and just like, Hey, you know, I got this game that I'm re- creating and I probably can't afford you, you know, but I'm reaching out anyway in, in hopes that maybe you'd be willing to work with me. And the artist responded and said, well, yeah, you probably can't afford me. Um, but tell me about your game. It's like, Whoa. Okay. So, you know, shared and, <laughs> um, Artist said, wow, that sounds really, really cool. Yeah, I'd like to be a part of that. Um, <laughs> and so, wow. uh, Colpedo stepped up in, in some big ways and, um, it was a time versus money issue because it took a long time to get some of that artwork, but it was mostly because mm. I wasn't, you know, um, I wasn't able to give a lot financially. And, and so, um, yeah, I try to, try to put Colpeo out there on blast every so often and, you know, just try to, try to honor my artists and say that they're amazing. Um, and then the artist that did the skyship on the front of the box, um, his name is Carl McIntyre and uh, he created one image for me and, um, it was a great image. But then when I changed the size of my box, the image didn't work as well. And I was like, man, you know, I can't run with this image anymore. I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm not going to, you know, I still want to pay you, you know, uh, for what you've done. And, uh, he actually turned around and created another image and, you know, just did a spectacular job kind of recreating one of the skyships for the front of the box. And it's so beautiful. Um, but then those character cards, you know, you got those characters that are, that are really nice that Colpeo did. And, and you got the, you know, the skyships and you got the skyship on the front of the box. And that's like, well, what about the graphic design? And, you know, you look at all these other games like Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon and Lord of the Rings and, you know, you name, you name the game. And, um, yeah, you're right. They're complicated. And, uh, I said, I, I want something simple and, and easy to read. And I want the font size to be a little bit bigger, you know, so that, you know, more people can read it. Um, and ultimately, I came across a graphic designer by the name of Mohamed Valafki, um, who is from France, I want to say. Um, yeah, anyway, but Mohamed just did a spectacular job. Um, and I, I told him, I was like, look, I want something simple. I, I want minimalism, um, you know, just straight up minimalism. And I sent him a picture of Charterstone. And I was like, how do we keep a pure white, you know, kind of card with this character and maybe, you know, a couple of these color streaks on the back. And he came out and created the, the beautiful graphic design that you see on the cards. So. And it's, um, as I say, it's, it's striking and different because, um, a lot of the, the cards I've seen, they kind of go into the let's create backgrounds and let's 
remind everybody of the world that they're in. And yeah, I've played uh, Charterstone a fair bit and uh, kind of reviewed it and even the the kind of the the app. Um, but as I say, Ashes Rise of the Phoenix Born is is a very very it's a very very kind of similar style, which I I kind of really I kind of that's kind of my bag. I like something okay. simple. I like something kind of striking. I like something kind of very, very straightforward, which is why kind of hero itself kind of um, kind of appeals. Um, in terms of costs, how much is it going to cost for somebody to step up and pledge? Because I notice you're yeah. only doing you're only doing US. You're only doing kind of fulfillment in the US. Yeah, so this is this was one of those um, topics that I really wanted to talk about, especially since uh, you're the person that I'd be talking to it, uh, talking with about it. Um, so my thought process going into it was, I want to create something that people can play and people can enjoy, um, no matter where they're from or you know what what they're doing. And when I looked into the cost of fulfillment, um, it was going to cost twenty four dollars just to ship it to anywhere pretty much outside the U.S. Right, twenty four to twenty seven dollars depending on where you go. And when the game itself only costs seventeen dollars, that's kind of a, that's kind of ridiculous. And you know, if I were a big company and I could ship you know hundreds or thousands of copies to one location, they could be distributed from there. That would be one thing, right? But I'm not. I'm not a big company. I'm just an indie designer and self-publishing, and maybe a big company will pick it up at some point or something. I, I don't know. But ultimately, I couldn't fulfill myself um, to one or two people from different countries without charging them an arm and a leg. So what I decided to do was to say, well, let's push this, you know, go local kind of theme, right? You know, I, I love the idea of going local and supporting my local economy, and I want other people to support their local economies. And, and I think that a lot of people need that right now, especially when you know, everybody's kind of locked down and in and, and quarantine. But if you can go to your local print shop, right? So I went to my local print shop and said, hey, um, you know, w- would you be willing to print these copies of the game for me um, in the in the United States? And they say, yeah, we can do that and name the price. Mm-hmm. And um, it actually eats up. So most uh, most games that people play, and you guys, you probably know this already, but it, um, you know, they create the game for like five times less the cost of what it costs to buy it. Right. And, um, but then of course, you know, manufacturing goes into that and they have to take their money out and shipping us to take their money out and then, um, distribution has to take their money out and then the retail stores have to take their money out. And so ultimately the designer still doesn't, you know, they only get a portion of whatever they put in. Um, but then, so what I said was I'll go to this local, local print shop and I went to them and they're charging me, you know, half cost to make the copies of the game. Right. Um, and I've had a lot of people say, well, why would you, why would you do that? I was like, I want to support these local people. And, you know, I may not make a, make a ton of money off of this, but I really want to support the local community here and, and be a blessing to them. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So what I did was I've taken the print and play and it's actually a full artwork print and play. Um, and I'm going to give that to all the $1 backers. So if you live in New Zealand or Greenland or Iceland or Russia or Australia or wherever you live and you want to back it for a buck and you get the full artwork print and play, you take it to your local printer, you get them to make the game for you for 10 to $20, however much it co- or $25, you know, it's about the same amount that it would cost if you were to back it with me and, and get it shipped to you, um, except without the shipping cost, right? Um, and so, and you're supporting your local economy in the process, which is, I think, one of the most important things we can do uh, for anybody right now is just, you know, to support others. Um, yes. And so, so I think that, 
that for me has been like, let's create, you know, an option for international backers where they can create a quality game. And I recommend a hundred, 130 pounds semi gloss, um, digital printing, um, you know, full, full color artwork. Uh, you're going to get a quality game. Um, and no digital is not going to last as long as offset will, obviously, but, um, you know, when you play games, think about how many times you play a game that you buy, you know, unless you're, you know, really rabid about the game, you know, you're only going to play it five to 10 times. But then if you are really hardcore about a game, you're going to sleeve the cards anyway, so it won't matter. Right. Um, but the cards themselves, the quality of the card, the 130 pound semi gloss with that, that digital full color is, you know, when you hold that in your hand and you hold a magic card in your hand, same quality. Um, in terms of the way that it feels, just the ink yeah, is going to yeah. rub off after 10 to 20 games, right? Um, maybe, maybe a little bit longer. I mean, I've played a same, I've played a deck of hero about 50 games and I still haven't had the ink rub off like I've been told it would. So, uh, take care for what you will. Um, and then I guess the other piece is, is that ultimately, and I haven't put this out there for the public yet. So I'm going to, I guess this is the time to do it. Um, if, if I can get the funding to make it happen, and this is, this is a big if, and I don't know what the numbers are. I'm still waiting on a printer to give me the numbers. So don't, you know, don't take this as a promise. Just take it as a, wow, that would be really cool. Um, but if I can get the funding for it, I'd love to do like PVC cards, right? So plastic, plastic hero cards that are a pure, clean white card, um, that are just going to last, you know, and you're not going to really kind of have to replace them unless you, you know, just truly bend a card out of shape. Yeah. So that's some, that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is, there is a $250 tier. If anybody wants to back it that, feel free. Somebody talked me into putting <laughs> that on there. Um, for, for the quote, quote, whales. Yeah. I, I wasn't going to, I wanted to keep it simple and easy. I don't want people to feel pressured into anything. And so when I created it, you know, if you look at the rewards on it, they're very much like, wow, that would be really neat. Um, but if you're backing at that level, like you're really there because you like the idea of the game. Right. And I've actually had a few people do it and non relatives. So that's a plus. <laughs> that is very cool. <laughs> that is very, very good. That is very, very good. You still got um you still got like almost well, it'll be just under four weeks to go now. Yeah. Um are you are you just kinda like, well, I'm just gonna be grateful for what's happening just now and we're gonna see what we're gonna see what kinda happens. Is it, are you still kind of waking up? Are you still are you still expecting to wake up, and you've fallen asleep at your computer, and you're just about to press the button to confirm the Kickstarter campaign, and this is all just a dream? <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. Well, is it, I mean, do you get? I mean, have you got with it being so successful? Is there been a little bit of imposter syndrome kind of kicking and kind of like? Because I know that for, let's face it, Frosthaven, the behemoth has come yeah. in and it's wiped out a whole pile of not wiped them out but it's definitely there's there's definitely been some kind of bigger games and definitely been smaller games who maybe didn't you know didn't fund or you know didn't fund there's been a few cancellations and you know mm. a lot of them have blamed this 12 million dollar kind of behemoth no, um, I think that's silly I, I think that uh, and forgive me if you're one of those people um I, I think part of it is is that 
For me, marketing is relationships. Um, I got a group on Facebook called the Tabletop Marketing Collaborative. And, you know, Wes Woodbury and Andrew Lowen are a part of that. Brian Fiore, um, David Palmero, and then Naylan. And I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Um, sorry, Naylan. Um, I may even be saying her first name wrong. It might be Nolan, but they're, they're, they're a rock star group of, um, marketers. And, and, you know, you got mm. three, three of them are professional marketers. Um, Two or three of them have all, you know, kickstarted their own game. One or two of them have helped other people with their games. And so they, but they've all bring something to the table, which is why I reached out to them specifically. You know, um, I wanted people who knew more than me about marketing and, and that so I could pick their brains and build a relationship with them and, and also add value to them and help them to, you know, get their names out there a little bit more as well. Um, but for me, you know, the heart of that group is, Marketing as relationships, right? We don't want it to be this, you know, use salesman, use car salesman pitch. And you've, you've probably heard that a few times on your show, but, um, this idea that like, I'm just trying to make money. Like that's ridiculous. Uh, um, I think that when I go into a creating something, the heart behind it should be, I'm adding value to you, right? If you, if you go back to the barter system, you know, take money out of the equation. If I build you a house, I'm, I'm trying to do it because I care about you. And then I'm hoping in return that you're going to do something, you know, also in return and you're, you're showing that you care about me, right? And that there's kind of this give and take. And that's the idea of relationship is it's not just about me. It's about us, right? It's not just about you. It's about us. There's, there's this, you know, love others as you love yourself kind of mindset, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think that, and there's your Bible verse, right? <laughs> um, but there's that you idea. You to sneak of it in caring. somewhere, didn't you? I was expecting, when's he going to sneak it in? But hopefully I yeah, did it in a right. way that, that really re- gets at the heart of like caring about people. Right. Um, yeah. And so when I, when I'm sitting here and you're like, you know, this imposter syndrome, I had the imposter syndrome when I was creating the game. Now that, now that the game's been made and people have shown me they like it and they're, they're interested. No, the imposter syndrome has gone. But, but what I do have is just an extreme gratitude. And that's something that for me was instilled in me during my undergrad years. Um, through a mentor of mine was just this idea of, you know, show people that you're grateful for them because honestly, if you're not grateful for them, you don't deserve what they have to have to give you anyway. Um, so yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. Um, if people have listened along tonight and they want to get involved, if they want to, I guess, kind of find you on the internet webs where can people find yourself on the internet webs well obviously there's the kickstarter go support the kickstarter no i'm just kidding <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but not really yeah, <laughs> go support the kickstarter. yeah no, if you're in I the would, u.s love, go support the kickstarter I if you're not in the u.s e- chuck a couple of dollars no yeah even if you're not in the if you're not in the u.s go ahead and support it one dollar is a lot of money um and i'm thankful for it but more importantly i want you to have something really cool to take back and play with your friends and you know go support your local economy and go to your local printer i I think that they would be appreciative also and you can tell them if they don't believe you like if they say well there's copyright issues you tell them i know the designer and he will handwrite a letter for me i'll do it if i need to (laughs) um you can hold me to that you can point to this radio show or podcast and say i'll see um yeah 
but it, but in all seriousness, yeah, hit me up on the Kickstarter and I, I will message you and, and I respond to all messages. And somebody hit me up the other day and said, Hey, you know, is this a, is this just a stock email that you send to everybody? And I said, well, you know, I do try to send a message to everybody and there's a, most of the message is the same initially. Um, I try to modify it a little bit depending on, you know, each person's kind of current circumstance. Um, but then. Like if I hear back from them, I'm going to respond and I'm going to talk to you about what's going on. You know, I got people, t- you know, talking to me from all different parts of the country and the world, telling me about their games and, and their experiences and how excited they are about, you know, um, the game that I've created and, and different things. And so the relationships have been spectacular. So Kickstarter is one way. Um, Facebook, I got a Facebook group. Uh, you know, just go into the Facebook search bar and type in Hero the Card Game. There's a page. There's a group. Um, like the page. Join the group. Um, and feel free to send messages. And, and again, um, I am incredibly communicative. Um, I will almost almost always respond within 24 hours. Now, if you're a creepo, um, yeah, <laughs> I might second guess that. So, so you need to, you need to show me like that you're not a creepo, obviously. Um, but, it, but in all seriousness, yeah, like I, I'm, I try to be very relational. And the reason that I'm like that, um, I mentioned Jamie Stegmaier earlier. Um, yeah, he is, he is one of those guys that he is constantly interacting with his audience and trying to build relationship. And even the people that really don't like him very much, um, because they disagree with his business practices or whatever. Um, he, he still seems to try to be very gracious, um, in his approach. Uh, and, and I want, I want to take that and I want to be able to let that be part of my, my approach to building relationship with people also is let me connect with people. Let me show them that I care about them. Even if, you know, they don't, yeah. you know, receive that love. Let me at least do my best to love them. That sounds fantastic. We'll make sure that we put all of the links in the show notes. So we've got yeah. notes to show. Um, yeah, there's a, there's also a- an Instagram and a Twitter. The Instagram is a little more active. The Twitter exists, but uh, I, I have found that nobody is on Twitter. Um, you know, I've got 90 followers and you, you know, you never, you very rarely get likes or replies, but on Facebook, you know, you, they come out in droves. So. <laughs> cool. No, I'll, yeah, as I say, I will make sure that uh, all the links go in the show notes so people can click away to their heart's content. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, just go to the internet webs and search and type We're Not Wizards and you'll find us. Uh, to find the podcast, it's we'renotwizards.com. To find the blog, it's we'renotwizards.co.uk. You'll find us on Twitter and Instagram um, if you search for We Are Not Wizards. If you want to find us YouTube and check out some of the new videos that we've been doing, you can go to youtube.com forward slash podcast. Cast. If you like what you've listened to tonight, there's a couple of things you can do. Just tell somebody else about it. Mm. Some people are sitting about with very little to do and are looking for something to listen to. Then please direct them our way. That would be very, very cool indeed. Um, but there's only a couple more things to do. Um, the first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Wesley? Uh, definitely not a wizard. <laughs> Yay! And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it is a goodbye from the wonderful, uh, rather wonderful, yeah. rather fantastic Wesley Cohn. Yeah, say I want to say real, real quick, I want to say thank you, Richard. Uh, thanks for having me. And I want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, rule sixes, make something awful. And. Um, Everybody needs a bit of a hero in their life and, uh, well, there you go. But until the next time, 
goodbye. A wizard is never late. Is he early? He arrives precisely when he means to. Mm-hmm.